Welcome to the Ultimate Coach Podcast, Conversations from Being, inspired by the book, The Ultimate Coach, written by Amy Hardison and Alan Thompson. Join us each week with the intention of expanding your state of being, and your experience will be remarkable. Remember, this is a podcast about being. It is a podcast about you. To explore more deeply, visit theultimatecoachbook.com. Now, enjoy today's conversation from B. Hello and welcome. My name is Philip Bartu and you're listening to The Ultimate Coach Podcast. I am excited and enthusiastic to introduce one of the most enthusiastic people that I have ever met. Um, Today, we are talking with Dave Orton. Now, the day Dave walked into Steve Hardison's office, he was greeted with the words of, Dave, you're the most pretentious son of a bitch I've seen in my entire life. Um, I'm going to ask you about that for sure, Dave. Um, But the way I've experienced you is as the most graceful and what is the word? You have this way of championing people, of seeing the greatness. You are a master acknowledger. And that's really what caught my attention. In fact, I've never seen anyone do it the way you do. You have a gift in seeing what there is in people that they are not even really able to see in themselves. And the way that you do it and speak to it is so eloquent and beautiful. Um, So I want to start with that, Dave. Uh, Welcome to the show and great to have you join us today. Thank you so much, Philip. Yeah, um, I'd like to just start off by acknowledging you, if I may. Thank you, for, by the way, for that powerful acknowledgement. Philip, who you are for me is a brilliant beacon of light, kindness, lovingness, power. Coach, you're inspiring, you're inspired. I see you as the divine man, like is in one in whom or through whom the light of the divine shines. I am moved by the difference that you make with people and your willingness to to have be with time with anyone that's on in our group and i'm i'm presuming and i assert that this is how you are in the world you're ready to talk with and love on anyone that wants to reach out and be with you and i that is so powerful and so rare in this world do you get that well, in your presence, I get to be a great one <laughs> with you? <laughs> that's that, that's so beautiful, and and you know we, we we've spoken a couple of times, but um, yeah, your your just your ability to see that is remarkable, um, and that that's just um, and you know thank you, I, I really appreciate and receive every word you say, um, and this is the amazing thing about Dave. He, this is what Dave can do with just about any person he meets, even people. That, like I, I've seen you acknowledge people from from just maybe a comment they've written, and and you're able to to deeply acknowledge it. Where where did that come from? Were you always like that, Dave, or is that something that you have learned and developed and mastered over time? 
<laughs> um, I definitely didn't come here with it. <laughs> um, how did that occur? Well, the, the context for my life growing up was um, when I was very small, there was a song that, that I, well, and I still love it. It's called, I am a child of God. And the context that I am, and we all are uh, children of the great creator uh, means that everyone that I see, everyone I look at, even the people that are mean to me are at some level, my brothers, my sisters, uh, you know, and, and that deep spirit connection, once, once one can tune into that. So for, for like 20 years or so, uh, it was theoretical. Like I, I knew with my mind that I'd been taught this and occasionally I'd get glimpses of, oh yeah, I see that person as a, as a soul sister, a soul brother. Uh, when I went to, um, I went on a LDS mission to Russia back in the mid nineties was kind of a wild time. They call it the, the, the wild times. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. in Russia when it was kind of mobocracy and it was, uh, it was, it could be scary. I mean, I got robbed the first day I was there and had a stomach ache for the first three months. But after that, I learned how to love these people that I had had a, a terrible fear of. And the lovingness came from this context of these are my brothers. These are my sisters. And from that context, emerged this um, desire and ability to see them as that. Hmm. Um, there is a, I did a, I did a thing called the landmark forum on that, that, that time when, when Steve, when Steve greeted me with you're the most pretentious son of a bitch I've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> his, his partings were, words were, as I was leaving his house, get your ass into the landmark forum as soon as you can. <laughs> And, and so 10 minutes later, I was in, I was, uh, you know, registered into the landmark forum. I had to call Penny and, and, uh, you know, we have an agreement not to spend a certain amount of money beyond, uh, before we have a conversation one with another. Um, and, but yeah, she said, yes. So in 10 minutes I was registered in the landmark forum. And part of the, the acknowledgement is something that leaders in landmark are trained in. Right. And I was a leader in landmark. So there was some actual training mm -hmm. and yeah there is something that goes beyond the training. Like there is, there's something powerful and creative in acknowledging a person from the possibility of their greatness. Oh, I can and really, I, yeah, I can really, really see that. And the, especially the way that you do it. It's, it's, um, it's profound. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Philip. So, you know, Dave, I, I, when I was, just reading this um, <laughs> this passage that we kind of joke about um, when you were, you know, called a son of a bitch. What what struck me is what happened afterwards. That I, you said it was really not. You didn't feel it was a judgment, but it was actually an act of love. Say more about that. It it, it was the strangest experience. Strange meaning that I had never encountered it before. This being told I love you with the words, you're the most pretentious son of a bitch I've ever seen in my life, caught me completely off guard. And 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 Steve, he, he, the, it occurs to me like the goal that he had in that was to shake me up and stir me such that I was no longer stuck in the frame of mind that I came to his house with. And that definitely succeeded. <laughs> Um, but 
the the lovingness that was behind it was that was the that was very remarkable you know i and since then i've found there are other people you know steve when steve is chewing you out mm-hmm. he is loving on you when he's telling you that you've got to get your shit together what he is saying is i love you i'm telling you this from love and it can feel you know the the way that one of the people in the book described it was he will cut you open with a samurai sword and then lovingly heal you back together Mm-hmm. Um, and, and bring you to yeah. a place of peace. It's not a direct quote, but right. But that's the experience, right? Yeah, powerful. And so, what happened in those three hours? What do you uh, remember from them? Well, so with Steve, it's very difficult to recall exactly what was said. He lets you take notes if you want to, and uh, I think I did. Um, that that first time I met with Steve was um, uh, nine years ago. And then I've had an opportunity to, to, you know, I hired him for a 10 hour set, 10 hour agreement in 2017, which I remember a lot more of that, but even that it's like, kind of like I move into this space in his office, this sacred space that he's created and maintains this, the sacredness of, and it's, it's kind of like the memory centers of the brain are, are slightly uh, (laughs) superseded by the experiential be with me now sort of thing Mm -hmm. i can tell here's here's what i remember from that first session we went through a great deal of the judgments that i had about myself the world the way it should be and uh and it was interesting because see steve and i share the same belief system right uh and a lot of the judgments that i had about myself and the way the world worked and the way everything should be came from um came from unconscious judgments that I'd made about myself in the context of what I heard talked about or said when I was very small in, in the, mm-hmm. you know, attending Sunday school. Just, just to make it more specific, more real. Is well, there something- sure. Ab- absolutely. So I grew up in a small town in Idaho where it was, it was about 85 to 90% LDS. It was very, very concentrated. It was not a homogenous. When you say um, LDS, what, what does that mean? Yeah. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay. So the commonly known as uh, Mormons, although we're, mm-hmm. you know, we don't really go by that name. That is, that's what we're known for. The Book okay. of Mormon is, is, is one of the things that we um, believe in. But the, so here's, here's an example is one of the, one of the principles that we have in, in that belief system is a thing called the word of wisdom. And the, like, I don't drink um, alcohol, don't smoke, uh, don't uh, don't drink even black tea uh, or coffee. And those or are some, some these, these are for are, religious reasons. Yes, correct. It's okay. a, a re- religious agreements, agreements that I have made with, um, with myself right. and, okay. and, and my wife. And so here is the logical leap that I went through as a child. Okay. That, that I didn't, that was unconscious. Mm-hmm. Everyone that smokes is going to hell. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> And, oh and I, God, you know, yeah. can, can you see how in, yeah. incongruous that is? <laughs> oh my God. So much. And it creates an air of superiority. Exactly. Well, exactly. And, and even beyond that, like the, Oh, go ahead, Philip. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just, um, I just want to, yeah. Just say how, how I didn't, I grew up in Singapore on the other side of the world uh-huh. and I had the same thing. Um, and it wasn't that if you smoke, you go to hell, but if you take any drugs, you will die 
mm-hmm. a painful, long, slow death, and um, and that's that's a given. And so that I remember, in, you know, Singapore is, a, is probably the most anti-drug state in the world, and there were these oh, yeah. big posters of basically dead bodies with a tag saying overdosed. And so you think, so to me, when as a, as a, as a 13 year old, in the same way as your head was creating a story of, if you smoke, you go to hell. I was like, well, if you take any form of drugs, you will die <laughs> within minutes. Like that's, and, and that was my story. And, 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 and that looked real. Um, right. So, so, so yeah, I can, I, I, I can totally relate to the the conditioning that 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 creates, even though it's not a negative, like it's it 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 does you know it's 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 supposed to keep us safe and keep us you know healthy and yet still it's deep conditioning. Yeah, and and the funny thing is, Philip, nobody ever told me that if you smoke, you'll go to hell. Right. I made I made that up completely on my own. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's that's so cool. You know, when I I, 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 the first time I saw a sign that says "Don't drink and drive," I always thought it's because you're going to spill your drink. <laughs> that's so crazy. <laughs> that's logical. That, that, that's what it meant to me. Don't drink that's, and drive. You're going to spill your drink. You know, you got to be careful. You don't want to drink and drive. <laughs> so, so, so as kids, we just it's so easy to to make up stuff. You hear something, and then you're like, "Yeah, I'm going to go to hell." Yeah. And so that stuck with you for, for how long? Like what, what the, this became a belief system as an adult. It, it, it did. And it, it um, so that one broke up when I went to Russia and there is a, I mean, in the 1990s, there were it, a lot of people in Russia smoked, like it was not at all looked mm. down on. You could smoke in restaurants with no problem. And, and, uh, and the Russians don't, I mean, the, the, the Russian cigarettes and alcohol, um, <laughs> And alcohol, yeah. I mean, there was there was you, there was vodka on every corner, and you were faced with the time. devil. <laughs> I mean, I I've never had a, a a strong urge to try alcohol or or smoke yeah. uh, at all because and 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 this is really funny. And I enjoy the smell of a good cigar, like somebody smoking mm-hmm. a cigar on me, uh, right. unless I'm trying to eat. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow, that smells like yeah. you know. That smells like uh, rich Corinthian leather or some other made up thing that doesn't really exist, but sounds really nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, but uh, to answer your question more um, deeply, so that that's the sort of thing that came up and mm-hmm. was recognized. And, you know, it was no longer hidden in the unconscious judgment part of my mind. Yeah, Steve was able to bring those up and say, "Look, Dave, you, you're killing people off for things that you know they have no agreement not to smoke. Just because you are, have an agreement not to do that doesn't mean that you get to you get to cancel them as uh, of having any value." Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I saw that in Russia as well, but it, it was it was still kind of on the on the down low inside of my mind. But the, but there were a bunch of them, and the process was we identify them, and then he introduced this idea of radical self-forgiveness that um, is one of the tenets of uh, the university of Santa Monica. And, and so we go through this cycle where, you know, he taught me how to forgive myself Mm -hmm. completely, wholly, radically, not waiting for God or man or anybody else. 
which I mean, it was like, it's different. You know, if, if I'm trying to get forgiveness for a sin that I've committed, <laughs> you know, an agreement that I've broken, a religious agreement that I've broken, that's one thing that's not in this realm. Forgiving myself for judgments is like, you know, forgiving a toddler who's learning how to walk for falling down. I mean, there's, there's nothing to forgive. And yet yeah. we pretend like this judgment is real. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense to be able to, to go through and forgive oneself for, to, to forgive myself for these right. judgments that I had. And they were really judgments that I made against myself that then showed up with how I projected reality as I looked around and saw whatever it was that I was seeing. Yeah. So that, I don't know, anything to say on that? <laughs> well, you know, when I hear the word forgiveness, and I, I can see how this has been really um, transformative and, and, and powerful for you, but I'm some, there's something I'm uncomfortable with that. So I'm curious to get your take on this, because when I hear the word forgiveness, I usually associate that to something that has been wrong. So there's like, I forgive for some sort of wrongdoing. And um, when I hear the judgments that I have, what, I, um, what occurs to me is, um, is not so much forgiveness, but acceptance. And in a way, it's like I, I notice the negative judgments. Now, I, I could either forgive myself or I can accept that that's just thought passing through me. And in that acceptance there is an allowing and it's uh, clearly a superior way of doing it than, uh, than forgiving. Mm. <laughs> I, I <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding about the superior, but it, I, well, I, I, I want to just, I was, I was trying to be a pretentious son of a bitch with you. I well, <laughs> mission accomplished. No, I'm just <laughs> but I, but well, I, am, I am, I mean, I'm, I'm joking, but I, I am curious to hear like what's um, I mean, of course these are just words, right. But what are you hearing in that? Well, let me give you an example of exactly what you said, at least how it landed over here with me. Yeah. Okay. So when I lost my job in 2016 and went through a year and a half of, of deep depression mm-hmm. and um, after I came through that, you know, it was, it was the strangest thing, Philip, because I, I retained a connection to the divine while I was going th- what, through what occurred to me as the depths of hell. Okay. And, and the message from the divine was keep going. It was like, it was like um, Winston Churchill. Oh yeah. He said, you're going through hell, keep going. Yeah. And so I was trying to serve my way out of depression. I was trying to meditate my way out of depression. I was trying to exercise my way out of depression. I was trying to pray my way out of depression. I was trying to, um, eat my way out of depression. I was trying to uh, stimulate myself out of (laughs) depression. And none of that just doesn't do it. And I don't have the answer. Everyone's journey through the dark night of the soul is Mm -hmm. their journey. Right. And I can tell you that when I, it was during that time, I had the opportunity to go spend 10 hours with Steve. And I, I, and I was trying, and this is the funniest thing. I was going to see Steve to get myself out of depression. (laughs) And that wasn't, that wasn't what, uh, you know, Steve wasn't there to fix that for me. Yeah. What we did was we created who I was as a possibility. Beautiful. And 
you know, about took me about six months later, I got, you know, a job with the company I work with now and was a, and I came out of it and, and well, the forgiveness yeah, I mean, from the, yeah, keep going. I want to hear that part, but forgive well, from the perspective of forgiveness. This is how do you forgive yourself for having been depressed? Hmm. And I think that what you said is the way or a very powerful way, at least if it's not the only one, right. When I was able to recontextualize the loss of my job and the cycle of depression that I went through, along with all the positive and negative things that, that happened during that time, the good, the bad, the wrong, the, the beautiful, the ugly, however they occurred to me, recontextualize it as a gift, as, the, as, as a divine path, my path to becoming who it is that I'm meant to be here. And to be yeah. able to have compassion for people who are dealing with depression, anxiety, mental illness, bipolar, whatever it is yeah. on a level that I never, you know, it occurred to me, they occurred, they, they occurred to me as not me like that, that stuff doesn't happen to me until it did. And then I'm like, wow, I had no idea that that's what you guys were dealing with. Yeah. No wonder compassion, compassion, deep, well, compassion from which I come when I'm dealing with anybody that is, that is, that is dealing with that chronic pain. I mean, it's my, my soul needed to go through that mm -hmm. so that I could show up powerfully, deeply, understandingly, you know, and it's, um, you know, who, who, one of the things that I say I am is I am a disciple of Jesus Christ as expressed through Dave Orton. And for me, Jesus is somebody, Jesus Christ is somebody who went through and felt everything went through the depths of hell as yeah. somebody who totally didn't deserve it and experienced what he experienced so that he could have compassion for us. So he could be an example of that lovingness, regardless of who, you know, where we are, who we are, what we've done. And, um, and that's how it kind of shows up for me is that became that, that experience of depression and and going through hell became sacred holy yeah became a light from which i can you know bless and serve others you're and, great, and you're for me that's patient. what i hear when you say that yeah and and honestly dave that's actually a perfect answer to the first question i asked you about your <laughs> about your capacity to acknowledge is there is an you have access to a level of self compassion that is so profound from your story, from your experience, from your depression, there is that place in you that knows the dark, the light, that's felt it, been with it, moved through it. And you recognize that in every other human being. It is your experience, your life experience, and how you've worked through it. That is the sacredness of your being. Thank you. I, I, I accept that completely. I am that. Thank you, yeah. Philip. And I, by the way, noticed that same depth in you. Although your path, I'm sure, was different. It was all rainbow and sunshine. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. You know, I never, I never really considered myself um, depressed. Because for me, depression meant um, just crying all the time and feeling very, very down. And actually, what I was, and this is something I discovered in coaching eight years ago, 
I was diagnosed as a flatliner. Have you ever heard of that word, a flatliner? Uh, I've heard of it, but I'm not sure what so it means. They, so, they, so I was introduced to this idea that there are two kind of people in the world, the ones that are able to feel everything and the ones that are just kind of go through, have a very small range of emotion. And for me, that was my depression. I was, my range of joy was limited and my range of uncomfortable feelings and grief and sadness was limiting. And I remember as a, even earlier on as a 15 year old, attending my cousin's funeral who surprisingly died of cancer at the age of nine and trying so hard to cry because I was the only kid in that funeral that wasn't crying and feeling so like something's wrong with me. And um, I don't know where that comes from. And over the years, I'm like a baby boy. You know, I just, <laughs> I will cry. Oh, it was actually in my very first coaching conversation. I remember he said, what do you want to get? I said, I just want to cry. And what, what I really wanted was just to feel. And I was so cut off from myself and from my emotions. And actually, for me, what I got to understand about depression is your inability to really feel and how that's how I lived until I was about, gosh, 30, when I, when I really, really started just to be able to access more of my emotions. So I'm, I'm curious, um, was, that, was that like that for you or, or, or what are you hearing from that story? Yeah, well, so thank you so much for sharing that, Philip. For what I hear in that is numbness, you know, and that yeah. is, that is, that occurs to me like the default way that humans survive. Like if you are, if you are somebody who is being assaulted, you know, a, a child who's living in a, an environment where they are being assaulted Every, you know, every other day or something where it's just nonstop and common, the survival, the default survival mode is to, uh, is to go numb, you know, or to freeze or yeah. to, you know, there's, I guess there's the three, the fight or flight or, you know, <laughs> or freeze, you know, and, and the freezing includes this thing where in order to, it occurs to me, I'm not sure this is actually true, but it occurs to me like part of that freezing is, numbing down the emotions such that you do not react and if we don't address that if a person just lives with that then that becomes the default way of being and i i don't know if that's really how it is and i can tell you that in the coaching conversations that i've had yeah that is as common as clay you know and, yeah. and it doesn't even have to be you know rape or sexual abuse or a, a, a beatings physical beatings or anything. It can be somebody looked at me funny and I made that mean that I was unworthy and yeah. therefore I'm shutting down. I mean, it's, it's, we humans are, are these experience generating machines, meaning making machines. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Landmark for that, <laughs> for that term, uh, Werner Erhard, but the, so it's, that's what I hear. And for me, it was not, I, I, I suffered, like I was still able to feel, I wasn't able mm -hmm. to feel joy or happiness. Okay. So those were numbed and the capacity to feel, you know, hurt and pain and, and worry 
seemed like that was expanded. And mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> when I was going through my stuff and, and yeah, what you've described definitely fits as, as, uh, as depression. There's, there's not, there's no wrong way to, to go mm-hmm. through depression. There's no wrong feelings. It's not like for me to curse, like it's your experience and however you go through it and whatever you experience Yes. Is valid. Yes. And I think the point I'm making here is that I think depression has become a socially accepted way of being in our society. And there's a lot of, I mean, I'm looking around and seeing a lot of people who are just have learned to live and function from that state of being. And, um, and I know that because I was like that. And in that moment, I never even imagined or would label myself as depressed. Yet I was, I was deeply, um, I was, I was, you know, like functionally depressed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was just very, um, as I look back at it now, I can see that. But if, if you had said that to me, I, I would have massively resisted that and been like, no, that's not true. Um, so it's just, just interesting how we can, Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe what I want to say is like how how hopeful I am as as a possibility of yeah living from a place of uh, being more deeply connected to everything that wants to all the emotions that want to move through us mm-hmm. and yeah. and the pain and the beauty of that you know is yeah. And, and, and how there's, gosh, it's today, the word that I've been using the most over the last just few days is I feel tender because it is a, a feeling of, of, of joy. I am, um, yeah, actually um, expecting a baby in August, little baby boy. And there's just mm-hmm. such a sense of joy. And there's also a sense of pain that I'm also experiencing because of some tensions and drama in the family that I'm experiencing. And so just feeling all of that and just, yeah, Dave, you know, without make, without making it in bringing the meaning making machine into it and just, <laughs> just allowing it to be and just to feel and, and a sense of acceptance. So to me, the word that's, that's really allowing me to sort of ground myself in, in, in this current state is, is, is a is a acceptance and allowing of what is. It's beautiful, Philip. It's beautiful, and that's you know it, so much of my coaching. It, once I once I went through and felt all these feelings all the way through, they they dissipated, and that was mm, yeah. That was the you know if I'm re- I, I was so resistant when I lost my job, I felt like it was so unfair. You know the the context for this was. I had spent nearly 15 years with this company. I had made them $20 million, $8 million of profit, including all of my expenses and all the expenses of everybody else. That's a very, that's a very good profit margin. Honestly, it's decent. It's, it's, it's uh, celebrate. It's something I, you know, in business, one would celebrate that uh, at least in the business we were in and, and the business I was doing. And it seemed that it was so unfair. They, that should not have happened to me, should not have happened to me. That judgment of, of what should or shouldn't be, especially when it's not matching reality. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that was the source of the, uh, of the experience for me. Well, 
Right. Look at look at the story that. right there, Dave. I had made them how much money? Twenty million. So I had made them twenty million. I had made them that. Like just that story. Like who are you identifying as yourself to be? How dare them fire you? Like what disrespect? What a lack of seeing everything that you've done. Right? Like just how that the pain of that you know and and in a way it's like i don't know how to say this but it's like it's the death of that person that had that role and that attachment to that i am a leader of a great company and i am worthy to work here I, you, you've hit the nail on the head, Philip. That's exactly what it was. I had mixed up my identity. I had mixed up who I am with this number, $20 million, this title, you know, global program <laughs> manager, site manager, whatever the title was with who I was. And, and, and when that was, when that went away, I discovered that I, that was who I thought I was. And, and that the grieving for that person that was no longer there. Oh yeah. That was, that was some deep grief. That was difficult to go. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's, that is a spiritual awakening. You know, what you experienced there, you got to see what is untrue about your identity that you have been holding on to and living by for your entire life. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to grieve there. And the courage and the humility it took for you to even see that. Thank you. I got that. Yeah. And the freedom on the other side of it, right? (laughs) See, now that, that is a beautiful thing right there. This was an example of where a conversation did not bring me to that state. Like, I went through what I went through to discover what there was to discover. And somebody, and, and here's the funny thing. People told me this, like again and again, I had conversations where like, David, just sounds like you uh, are no longer connected with, you know, this is who you thought you were. You're not that you're something else. What would you like to create? Beautiful, powerful words, which I couldn't accept in that moment because I was still processing at, in, in my uh, body and soul, mm. this this uh, departure of who I thought I was. <laughs> huh. So so great, but the you know going from that and and creating myself with Steve as as my document as a who I am as my declaration as uh, as speaking myself into that instead of forming myself in the mm. who as who I was so that I would look good and powerful and and worthy in the eyes of others. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't want to have a friend who was $20 million? Hi, my name's Dave. Actually, I'm the, you know, you could just call me $20 million because that's, that's how I relate to myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, so tell me about the shift from the pretentious 20 million Dave who shows up with polished shoes to Dave recreated. <laughs> yeah. So through the dark night of the soul, <laughs> Through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, I went from pretentious son of a bitch to who 
who am I? You know, yeah. I was returned to, I am a child of God. That, that who I was as, as a, as a child. And I still choose that. I, that's, that's part of who I am to creating myself as, as my document now. And the document I created with Steve has shifted. Like that's a, it's a moving target. It's a live document that reflects where I am and who I am being now and, and what I am up to in the world. Right. So can I, can I share this with you? Oh, please, please share it. Yes. Okay. I am endowed with godly vision connected to the spirit of all creation. I am spirit being human. I am seeing as Christ sees and through me, his love and light emerge. I am a miracle and I give miraculous value. I am appreciating the miraculous in others. I am loving Penny now and now and now. I am present, serving, and loving. I am generous, generative, and expansive. I am dancing with reality and loving what is. I am creating inspiring futures that forward the self with the capital S. I am listening from and enrolling others in being their greatness. I am receiving massive flows of spiritual, mental, physical, emotional, and monetary energy. I am compassion and I have no complaints. I am grateful for the future, present, and past. I'm healthy, fit, and flexible. I am inspired and act immediately on the nudge. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ as expressed through Dave Orton. I am that no one is worthy of my judgment and everyone is worthy of my love. And love is, I am that. Thank you so much, Dave. In your chapter, I read about you talking about your document as a living document, as an aspiration, as a place to come from. Can you say more about that? Yeah. You know, I thank you for letting me share that. That is, that is, um, you, you can hear some of the lines that I've borrowed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, acquired. There we go from Steve, uh, Steve Hardison. Um, but the, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And for everyone still use borrow from whoever mm-hmm. to create yourself because it is, it is you creating you. There are no copyright laws in this particular realm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the, but speaking more about who I am, this document as aspirations and a place to come from. This is a little bit like a Buddhist koan, right? Because it doesn't make sense to come from a place in the, in the logical default mind. It doesn't make sense to come from a place that you're not already being like, if I am a, if I say that I'm an Olympic athlete without having been to the Olympics at a certain level, the logical mind says liar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, beauty of the possibility of being you know i am the possibility of being an olympic athlete the mind is not challenging that because i'm a, it's a possibility it's not the mm. fulfillment of that possibility yet and coming from that allows 
um, an athlete to to work towards something while being it from being from that space already. You know, one of the ways that shows up in in Western philosophy and and and, and Western um, writings is uh, come from you know operate from the end. Mm, the way yeah. that it appears over with with uh, in Eastern philosophy is is um, kind of like in the the Tao Te Ching where they talk about uh, non-action. Mm-hmm. I think that in the Western mind that doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you come from if you if you look at it from being like who yeah. I am being is great. Yes, I don't have to do anything to to be that I can just be that and then the doing comes from that mm-hmm. being my actions are the fruit of who I am being and that the fruits are the fruits mm-hmm. showing up over and over again and me recognizing when I'm not being that yes. when the pretentious son of a bitch shows up <laughs> yes or you know the liar shows up or the road rage guy shows up noticing that and stepping stepping mm. into being and coming from being and coming from blessing and coming from acknowledging and acknowledgement and loving that's that's it that's how i become the fulfillment of this document and and dave you know with your permission i would like to put your document in the show notes of um of this podcast would that be okay absolutely yeah the more yeah the more this is shared the the more powerful (laughs) I think that's comes for me. that's that the whole thing was was really beautiful and powerful. There was one line though that really stuck with me. It was a line about penny and now now now. Can you say that again? Yeah. I am loving penny now and now and now. So simple, so profound. Um can you give me an example of how you being I am loving penny now and now and now? has shifted your relationship. Yeah. Yeah. What shows up for me with, with that is in the example of, so culturally I came from a family where the house was, was very clean. My mother made sure that we kept the house clean and, and it was a group effort. One of my young, my younger brothers, his favorite thing to do is to clean the house as a family. (laughs) Which occurs to me that, is sheer lunacy. Um, that, but damn that was, <laughs> he's he's quite wonderful, actually. But but the point was that for him that was a, a source of joy. For me, that was a source of suffering. Oh. Suffering, you know. Um, and uh, and I, uh, man, I hated doing the dishes. I hated you know cleaning my room, and uh, until it became the norm, you know. And and then it was something that I <laughs> I didn't know I was doing this. I pushed it on others. So when I was in in uh, in when I was in Russia, I was paired up with different um, other missionaries, uh, and and I I won the award for the cleanest uh, apartment in the mission like five or six times, and I was so proud of that. And some of these slobs that came to stay with me for a while, I had to train them up on the right way, <laughs> the superior way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Dave, there's the Dave Orton way, and then there's the wrong way. That's right. 
yes, so great that you say that. My the 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 president of our mission, the leader over the the guy that we all reported to, if you will, he said that exact scene. He was like, now you can do it the way of the spirit, or you can do it the way of Orton. You know, he said this in front of like sixty missionaries. I'm like. I was like, what the, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> if you choose the way of Orton, then you know that you are, and it doesn't matter. It can be, you know, and he listed his name and a couple of the other missionaries' names. It doesn't matter if, if you're doing it that way. It, I can guarantee you that that is the path of disappointment. In, and he didn't say it this way. This, would how, this is how Steve would say it. But only always. <laughs> but only always. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my wife will tell you, in the kitchen, there's the Philip Barty way and there's the wrong way. And I'm just like you. And boy, have I had to learn to love, love, love. And my, my document is I lovingly accept all parts of my wife, especially the parts I wish I could change. And the second part is really so, so, so important. So, oh, yeah. It's beautiful. Beautiful. And so with, with my relationship with Penny, um, you know, one of the things that I discovered with my first session with Steve was that I lied to Penny all the time. I, yeah. with, I, I concealed things. I, I concealed addictive patterns that I had. I concealed um, feelings. I concealed, mm. I, I, I just, you know, I present, I, I was presenting what I thought was needed not what was real and not who I was really being. And, you know, I guess the way of saying that was that with my wife, I was a pretentious son of a bitch. You were. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And that still shows up, you know, and yeah, the, the loving course. penny now and now and now is the opportunity that when I come into a room where my expectations are that, that from, <laughs> from childhood, that this room is going to be clean and there's piles of stuff here and there's other things over there. And it just doesn't bother her, no. you know, at all. Uh, and, and I'm like, ah, you know, I have a, I have a, mm -hmm. this is not right. This is not what I signed up for. What the heck is going on here? <laughs> you should, you know, and everything that follows that is bullshit. That's oh, yeah. the moment when stepping into and being from, I am loving Penny now and now and now yeah. and now and so, now so good is is, is a place to come from. And an example of how that shows up is, is an agreement that's emerged. She washes the clothes. Mm -hmm. I fold the clothes. Mm -hmm. She hates folding clothes. I don't mind it. <laughs> I, I enjoy folding clothes. Oh, it's kind of a meditative thing for me. Um, and, and the dishes, I go downstairs and it's like, oh, my goodness, here I am all day up in my office working and coaching and changing the world. And my wife can't even be bothered to do the dishes. Okay. Hello, son of a bitch. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. And to wow. step from that into I'm loving Penny now and now yeah. and now. Yeah. And it takes me five minutes to, to do the dishes and, and, and to feel happy about having yeah. done the dishes. And she says, thank you so much for doing the dishes. And sometimes she doesn't. And I'll say, hey, did you notice I did the dishes? So that she'll acknowledge that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, yeah. and that can come from love and or that can come from the son of a bitch, that, that it, last part. <laughs> yeah. Dave, you know, it's, it's the simple everyday life where this understanding and the way that you create yourself is life-changing and um in my case christina does the dishes and i do the cooking 
And I noticed this, I made her lunch today and I called her at like, hey, lunch is ready. And she says, coming. Now, when I say lunch is ready, I am plating up the food and ready to serve like I'm in a restaurant and my livelihood depends on it. Yeah, got it. Got it. Lunch for you is a Michelin star event. Got it. Okay, continue. So lunch is ready. I've put my soul and heart into it and she's not running down the stairs. She just says, I'm coming. (laughs) So as I was there waiting, it took her 10 minutes to actually come down. But she didn't say, hey, I need 10 minutes to do something. And I just noticed that in those 10 minutes, I started to entertain the thoughts of my wife doesn't respect me. And I was like, where does that come? I was like, oh, my God, that's my mother. Whenever my mother was calling us, for, if we didn't run and we weren't there immediately, it's like, you don't respect me. And it's just how I had taken on that belief. And I kind of chuckled to myself and I said, you know what? I'm not going to say anything and I'm just going to see how long it takes for her. So I was waiting. And in that moment, all I could do was just kind of engage with the food. So I actually spent 10 minutes seasoning the food and just having this kind of mystical experience with, I was making this chili beans dish and I was just adding this and adding that tasting it and preparing it and improving it. And, you know, I love Mm. to cook and I love food. Those were 10 blissful minutes. And I realized that I had a choice to be vent, like to feel resentful or to just be creative and, and love my wife no matter what. And I was just being impatient and I just got to see that. And I'm so, um, yeah, just just so humbled by the simplicity of that. Well, it's, it's a miracle, Philip. I mean, for a certain value of miracle, you created a miracle in that moment, right? You stepped into being graceful, allowing, accepting, peace, Hmm. enjoyment, and improvement of the food, which is a soul event for you. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Can I I share something with you that just showed up where the the first time I ever experienced something like that? Please. Or are we out of time? (laughs) No, no, no. Please, please, please. Okay. So uh, when I was 16 years old, um, I wanted to um, I wanted to take a, a, a girl on a date. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, I, I hadn't even asked the girl yet, but I, I was, I, I didn't have money. I didn't have funds. I didn't have a, a, a good source of income at that moment. And so I called up my grandmother um, and, and asked if she had any jobs that I could go do for her and earn some money. And she said, absolutely. This garage hasn't been cleaned out in 30 years. You know, your grandfather's been dead for 20 years. Uh, would you please come and clean it out and I'll pay you for that? It's like, yeah, I'll do that. I, I'm, I, I, can, I can totally do that. So the context I was coming from and had created was I am doing this so that I can have a fantastic time uh, on this date so that I can, you know, pay for the dance tickets and pay for the, mm-hmm. the you know, activities and whatever as part of this date. And it's going to be great. So I jumped, you know, on a Saturday 
like five o'clock in the morning, I jumped in my car and I drove the three hours to my uh, grandmother's house. That's gosh, what was it? About 250 miles. So it's, you know, it's a fair distance, even for an American. <laughs> and, and then I got there and I turned on this song that just moved me and I jumped into the work and the, this, this context of coming from the enjoyment of the date already and the looking forward to enjoying this time with this, this, this girl that I um, had a crush on at that time, mm -hmm. made it, who I showed up there didn't care about the through, you know, the, the quarter inch of mouse manure that coated several surfaces. It didn't care about the, you know, the clutter that had just been allowed to, to be there my entire life. I mean, it, my whole life growing up, I, I, you know, it hadn't been clean in 30 years. I was 16. I came onto the pick onto the scene a halfway through the last time this was clean. And that's not true. I mean, they straighten things, you know, it's just the, that was how it occurred for my grandma, but it was messy. Like there was, there was a lot of work to do and a lot of things to go through and rusty implements and, and, and knives and, and, you know, different things that just showed up on 30 years of a, um, on that small farm that they had. And my grandmother had expected me to not get through it if I had worked 12 hours that day. And from who I was being and the place I was coming from and the experience of joy as I'm cleaning up all this stuff and not even noticing the smell or the, yeah. <laughs> or the dangers or ooh, not slowing down for any of that. I got that done in six hours. Wow. And not just, and, and they weren't six hours of suffering. They were six right. hours of joy, of, of, of sacred cleaning up mouse, uh, you know, mouse manure. <laughs> that is a miracle. That is a miracle. <laughs> that's a miracle. Yeah, that's a yeah. miracle. <laughs> yeah. And, and on the other hand, uh, there was a, a year later, my father um, asked me to go and help another uh, you know, one of my uncles to bring in a harvest on a farm that, that he was running at the time. And I had a chip on my shoulder about this uncle because he had stiffed me 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, he was, he was no longer worthy of my love. <laughs> he was worthy of my judgment is how he showed up for me. And, and I was like, no, I'm not going to go. You can't make me go. Well, he could make me go. And he was like, look, David, this is work that needs to be done. And happier sad, you're going to do it. Like, fine, but you can't make me enjoy it. So I was grumpy and surly and, 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 you know, silent for the entire trip there, two and a half hours there. And, and then I did the job, drove the truck and pretended to, you know, to want to be there. And then at the end of the day, we drove back home. So, you know, we went and worked 10 hours and then drove the, the hours home. It was, a, it was a long day, 15 hour day. And on the way home, my dad's like, so tell me about your experience. <laughs> like it was miserable. This sucked. It was horrible. And he's like, yeah, you decided that it was going to be that way when I asked you to come, didn't you? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. this is, I've gotten to experience the created positive and the created negative. And, and one, they're both miracles just of yeah. a different, <laughs> through a different lens or through the different sides of the mirror, if you will. <laughs> so good. So good. Thank you for letting me share that. Well, thank you so much. Well, Dave, um, we're getting to the end of our time together. It's been an absolute delight um, to hear your stories and your shifts in being. And thank you for, for sharing all of that. Is there anything that you would like to say before we complete? Well, thank you so much for um, 
for this opportunity, uh, for the conversation, for who you're being and who I get to show up in your listening as. Uh, you know, there's the, the beauty of the group for me and this book and who I get to be and who I choose to be and who I create myself as is being a great one. And the fastest path that I can tell to being a great one is to declare it and then to surround yourself with people who are also great ones. And that's who you and, and the, the people in the group show up for me as. That's, hmm. I acknowledge you for being a great one. Beautiful. And thank you. by so doing, we, I get to be a great one too. So thank you. That's what I wanted to share. For, and for those that are listening and want to know more about Dave and how to get in touch with you and to know more about potential for them to be great one, where can we direct them to? Uh, yeah. The, so my, my, I have a website. Uh, Facebook is probably the fastest way to get a hold of me. Um, and my, uh, my email is daveorton at gmail.com. Um, and uh, I have a website that is uh, five days to own your life.com. And it has some testimonials and some, some other things there. That's one of the programs that I, um, that I've run in the past. I'll probably run it again too. Uh, but it's, uh, I'm going to recreate it okay, <laughs> from beautiful. the context of the power of being, but that's kind of, you know, that's how you can get to, to reach out to me. We'll and by out. the way, I'd like to yes. give an invitation. If, if, if you would like to be, uh, acknowledged by me or if you'd like to be uh, have an interaction you know if you're in the group just say hey dave you know tag me say dave orton would you please acknowledge me <laughs> and i will <laughs> and i've seen you do that so so beautifully and so masterfully so um there you go uh, uh, the invitation is there uh, to connect with uh, with dave we're going to put your um, website in the show notes as well and um, once again, thank you so much for uh, everyone who's been joining us today. And if there is anything that you heard or that you want to share, we, Dave and I, would uh, love to hear from you. So um, with that, have a, uh, have a beautiful day. And Dave, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Truly my pleasure. Thank you all. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you know someone who would benefit from today's conversation, please share this podcast with them. Also, we invite you to visit theultimatecoachbook.com so you can continue your personal exploration of being. There you will find links to join our wonderful community, get your own copy of The Ultimate Coach Book, and more. Simply go now to www.theultimatecoachbook.com. That's www.theultimatecoachbook.com. The link is also available in the show notes. We appreciate your support. Be blessed. Be you.